and your love and your blessing. And Lord, the things that you are doing in our lives, and we just ask now that you take over and work in this service, that you would be honored and glorified in it. In your name we pray, amen. You may be seated. In the back, Peter can give those to you. Revelation chapter 13. And of course, this... uh, Uh, Things seldom work out exactly the way that we want them to. This is the uh, passage that probably needs more study and more time. And, of course, uh, I've had least amount of time with the class going on and everything. But uh, uh, And my mind is going in about 45 different directions. uh, And uh, what I want us to do is just stick with the Scripture as much as possible uh, there is no way we can cover everything about Antichrist in one lesson. And, uh, I mean, and yet this is where everybody goes crazy. And, oh, yes, now we're going to figure it all out. No, we're not going to figure it all out. Uh, there are certain things God never intended us to be able to figure out. And uh, But let's just start reading in chapter 13 of the book of Revelation. Again, this is... The section that we call special information, we've already been through the time sequence, the, the flow of action, and now the writer is going back, he's taking these parenthetical parts or pauses, if you would like, and giving us the information. Chapter 12 was a narrative of the nation of Israel, the woman, and the work of the dragon, and how the dragon was trying to, the devil trying to persecute Israel. Uh, Then we come to chapter 13, and this is the two beasts. This is what we call the beast and the false prophet, or the Antichrist and the false prophet. And uh, we'll try to get through the first half of the chapter tonight. And it says, And I stood upon the sand of the sea, and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven horns, Seven heads, I'm sorry, and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his head the name of blasphemy. And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion, and the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority." And I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, which gave power unto the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. If any man have an ear, let him hear. He that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. He that killeth with the sword must be killed with the sword. 
Here's the patience and the faith of the saints. So here we have this short narrative, ten verses basically. Um, how many boot movies has Jack Van Impey made about uh, the beast and his identification? And you have the uh, the older ones that were made. Uh, what was uh, it was? Uh, the thief in the night, there it is, and then a distant thunder, and then uh, the mark of the beast and the kingdom of the beast, and everybody, uh, I mean, there's just so much stuff out there. You know what you do when there's so much stuff out there? Ignore it, amen? Uh, That is the best thing to do. The Bible does not give us a a tremendous amount of information, but it does tell us what we need to know. And where we start here is, we have John standing upon the sand of the sea. It was amazing what I read in commentaries about standing on the sand of the sea. But you know what I found out? If you want to look at the sea... That's the best place to stand. Isn't that deep? You say, why do you say that? Well, let's go back to the book of Daniel, if we would. And in Daniel chapter 7, we're going to have what we call parallel a parallel passage here. And in Daniel chapter 7, we're also going to look at Daniel chapter 2 here in a minute. In verse 2, let's just read the whole context here. Verse 1, Daniel 7. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and a vision of his head upon his bed. Then he wrote the dream and told the sum of the matters. Daniel spake and said, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven of the heaven strove upon the great sea. And four beasts came up from the sea, diverse one from another. Now, what I mean by if you want to see the sea, the best place to be is at the sand of the sea. Daniel was watching these beasts rise up out of the sea. Guess where John was? Watching the beast rise up out of the sea. If you're going to watch this thing, where are you going to have to be? On the beach. I mean, that's just the best place to be. God moved uh, John in the book of Revelation to a vantage point where he could see this. And all that is being said here is in the book of Daniel, its prophecy was so accurate that most modern scholars say that Daniel is a history. It cannot be a prophecy. Of course, we understand that God can be accurate before it happens. Amen? Uh, God knows the end from the beginning, the beginning from the end. But the thing that I want you to get that most of the commentaries and and everything miss... Jump over, skip, forget, 
try to ignore was Nebuchadnezzar's rise to power some mystical, abnormal, unhistorical event? No. Nebuchadnezzar's rise to power would be exactly what we would deem the natural flow of history. When Nebuchadnezzar's empire was supplanted by the Persian empire, what would we say happened there? We would say it was the natural flow of history as the Babylonian empire became uh, decadent and, and, and uh, literally began to rot within. And it didn't take very long. Uh, Belteshazzar was Nebuchadnezzar's grandson. There were only three main kings to the history of Babylon. And Cyrus was the general that opened the brazen gates. How many remember the history of the fall of the city of Babylon? Is an amazing story. The Euphrates River, we've heard about that before, flowed through the center of the city of Babylon. How would you like to have the Hudson River flowing through the middle of a city? And what they did to keep invading armies from getting into the city of Babylon was they built these huge brass gates that went the whole way across the river. If you tried to get into the river and open those gates, the current would press you up against the brass gates and you would drown. The walls of Babylon were so thick, they could take four chariots side by side and ride around the top of the wall of Babylon like a four-lane highway. I mean, how many remember the chariot race from Ben-Hur? Not that we really watch TV, should be watching all that stuff, but how'd you like to be able to... Can you imagine the thickness of the walls? That was the top of the wall. There were two walls that went around the city of Babylon. The entire Euphrates River brought fresh water in, carried the sewage and all the garbage out. It was a fortress that could not be breached. We didn't have the B-52s fly over top and kill everything in the city. You know what the Persian army did? They dug a ditch and diverted the entire river. And so, do you know what they were doing in the city of Babylon while this was going on? Belshazzar's party from Daniel chapter 5. Belshazzar was so secure that he was throwing a party while the Persian army was camped around the city, literally thumbing his nose, as we might say, in the face of the enemy. And all of a sudden, 
during the party that night that the hand appeared on the wall, the water level began to lower. Came to a trickle. They attacked the gates that had been protected by the current of the great river Euphrates. And before the king could understand what had even happened, he was dead. The natural flow of history. I want you to understand when Antichrist comes, all of those seeing these events will deem them as the natural flow of history. We tend to put so much uh, uh, mystical powers, and of course, uh, the Antichrist will be the most powerful sovereign in the history of mankind to reign on earth. But let me ask you a question. If Alexander could have gotten it done, would he have done it? Uh, you bet you. If Caesar could have gotten it done, would he have done it? If Napoleon could have accomplished it, would he have not ruled the world? Adolf Hitler said he would do it. You know why he didn't? Because he wasn't the Antichrist. God's prophetic time clock was not ticking. And I, I wish we had time to go through all the history that's repeated and that's put in the book of Daniel because there is some things that are in the book of Daniel given as prophecy that were actually historical fact that I believe and, and most Bible-believing preachers believe will have a double fulfillment that just as Antiochus Epiphanes, the, the Greek leader, came in and desecrated the temple, so Antichrist, yet in the future, will do the same thing to the temple that will be built in the city of Jerusalem. And uh, people can say, well, we, we believe those things were fulfilled, then why did Jesus speak of them in a future Context saying they haven't been fulfilled yet because Antiochus Epiphanes was already in hell when Jesus walked this earth. And yet he warned the children of Israel, the abomination of desolation is coming. It's a future event. And so um, let's just take a, a few seconds here and talk about the history of the world. I'd like you to go to Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2. And here we have Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And of course, Nebuchadnezzar forgot his dream and said, if you don't tell me what I dreamed and what it means, I'm going to kill you all. Nice guy. And uh, Daniel prayed. You know why Daniel prayed? Because if he didn't, 
he would have been killed with the wise men of Babylon. And Daniel comes in, and let's just pick it up here in uh, verse 24. Therefore Daniel went into Arioch, whom the king had ordained to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus unto him, Destroy not the wise men of Babylon, bring me in before the king, and I will show unto the king the interpretation. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste, and said thus unto him, I have found a man of the captives of Judah that will make known unto the king the interpretation. The king answered and said, Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, art thou able to make known unto me the dream which I have seen and the interpretation thereof? Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king hath demanded, cannot the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, the soothsayers, show unto the king? But there is a God in heaven that revealeth secrets, and maketh known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter days. Thy dreams and the visions of thine head upon thy bed are these. As for thee, O king, thy thoughts came into thy mind upon thy bed. What should come to pass hereafter? And he that revealeth secrets... Maketh known to thee what shall come to pass. But as for me, the secret is not revealed to me for any wisdom that I have more than any living, but for their sakes that shall make known the interpretation to the king, that thou mightest know the thoughts of thine heart. Thou, O king, sawest and beheld, behold, a great image. This great image, whose brightness was excellent, stood before thee, and the form thereof was terrible. This image, image's head was of fine gold, his breast and his arms of silver, his belly and thighs of brass, his legs of iron, his feet part of iron and part of clay. Thou sawest till that a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon his feet, that were of iron and clay, and break them to pieces. Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, and the gold broken into pieces together, and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away, that no place was found for them. And the stone that smote the image became a great mountain, and filled the whole earth. Now, how many of you like to dream a dream like that? But God was revealing to Nebuchadnezzar the history of the world in the future. And as we go on, the references are here. He said, Nebuchadnezzar, you are the head of gold. Why do you think in chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar builds a statue 90 foot tall out of solid gold? He's rather impressed with himself. Uh, historians love to downplay Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon. They love to talk about the Assyrian Empire. How many of you have heard of Ashurbanipal and uh, Hammurabi's Code and uh, all of these things? I'm getting some blank looks. You know why? Because only historians who hate the Bible really care about these people. But when Saddam Hussein was still alive, what did he say? I'm going to be Ashurbanipal reincarnated, right? No, he said, I'm going to be Nebuchadnezzar 
Wonder why? Because God gave Nebuchadnezzar a special place in history. The beast in Daniel chapter 7, if you'll turn back there, we're just going to flip back and forth a few times if you don't mind. This beast rises up out of the sea in Daniel chapter 7. And look with me in verse 4. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. I beheld till the wings thereof were plucked. And it was lifted from the earth and made stand upon the feet as a man and a man's heart was given to it. Is that not the history of Nebuchadnezzar? He acted like an animal for seven years, lived in a field. Could you imagine? No, let's not imagine. uh, The president of the United States being kept in a cattle stall for seven years and then returning to the presidency and everybody saying, wow, he's so smart. I mean, we've had some presidents that probably would have done a better job if we'd put them in a cattle stall, amen? Uh, But that's not honoring the office of the president as we should. But if that happened to someone, they would not be put back in a position of authority. Nebuchadnezzar had that happen to him. And was restored to his kingdom. Why? Because God said so. God wanted to show Nebuchadnezzar who was in charge. And you'll notice that the beast that represents Nebuchadnezzar is a lion with wings. Very similar to the cherubim as represented in the Bible. It it was a powerful beast. Could you imagine what a lion would do if it could fly? Well, that'd be pretty scary, wouldn't it? And we don't even need C.S. Lewis to make it happen, do we? But the second beast in Daniel chapter 7, the shoulders of silver, was like a bear. And it raised itself up on one side and had three ribs in its mouth between the teeth of it. And it devoured much flesh. The Persian Empire was much greater in scope and control than the Babylonian Empire was. And it was a two-peopled empire. We often call it the Medo-Persian Empire. It was the Medes and the Persians who had come together and formed a union and had that empire. And that's why the bear raised itself up on one side, because the one people, the Persian people, became greater than the Medes. And it was back and forth for quite a while there. We have the fourth beast here in chapter 6. This would have been the thighs of brass of Daniel chapter 2. And this beast was like a leopard. And it had four wings as a fowl, as a bird, and it had four heads. Does anybody know why this fourth beast had four heads? Because after Alexander, the great king, died 
in disease and drunken stupor at, I believe, 32 years old, something along those lines. Four of his generals divided his kingdom. Then comes the last beast, has iron teeth. Iron at this time was the hardest substance they knew of. It destroyed everything. It was unlike all of the other ones. It was the Roman beast. There would be ten kings attached to this empire. And there's all kinds of surmisal upon who the kings are and when they come. But there is one great king. He is called the Little Horn in this prophecy. He's given a great mouth to speak great blasphemies against God, just as is that will be described in Revelation chapter 13 as we go through this. This one great king that has yet to sit upon the throne is the man the Bible calls the beast or the Antichrist. He will be the one that rules over the earth. Now, this is the scope. We've seen the Babylonian Empire come and go. Persian Empire, come and go. Greek Empire, come and go. Roman Empire, come and go. But it's coming back. And when it does, it's going to be weird. Because it's going to be clay mixed with iron. Do we have any other welders here tonight? I know Brother George knows how to weld. You can't weld clay and iron. You can't bond them. In fact, if you mixed up clay and poured it into a mold and then tried to pour molten iron in on top of it, all you would get is a small explosion. There would be no bonding of those two elements. Yet the Bible says they're going to be mixed together. That this empire and other passages that we will get to in several weeks will be partly strong and partly weak. It will be very confusing. It will be very different. Almost sounds like the United Nations, doesn't it? Sounds like a republic or a confederation of nations. There's been much guesswork, hoping, wondering if it's going to be the European common market. But there's not 10 kings or 10 countries. There's more than that, I believe, 13 or 18 or something like that. And so let's go back to the book of Revelation, chapter 13. And I want you to get this description. The beast rises up out of the sea in verse 1. He's got seven heads, ten horns. Remember the description of the dragon from, verse, from chapter 12. And the beast which I saw was likened to a leopard. Beast number three, he had the feet of a bear. Beast number two, mouth of a lion. Beast number one. What we are saying here is what I believe the Bible is trying to teach and, and the simplest understanding is this last kingdom, the kingdom of Antichrist, is going to be the consummate world 
government. It is going to be built on and have the characteristics of all previous world governments wrapped into one. Now, that may be a very simplistic way of looking at it, but yet those are the characteristics. It's going to have the, the pomp and the power of Nebuchadnezzar and the, and the dominion of the other empires. And the Bible says that the dragon is going to give him his power and his seat and great authority. That the devil himself is going to be responsible for the power of this kingdom. Uh, I don't know if we have any uh, conspiratorialists out there, black helicopter guys. Uh, If you're out there, uh, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, Let me tell you what everybody has hoped would happen. I mean, the Bilderbergers and the Hamburgers and the Burger Burgers and whatever... What was that, Burgermeister, Meisterburger from, uh, oh no, that's from Rudolph, uh, Santa Claus, I'm sorry. Um, Anyway, all these freakazoids from history have desired to tap into the power of the dragon. The dragon hasn't committed himself, though he has lent his power to men like Adolf Hitler and Napoleon. This is going to be different. Uh, One reason I don't believe in the conspiracies. If there really were such an organization as the Illuminati, they wouldn't talk about ruling the world. They would. Illustration. Berlin. 1940. Hitler made a decision to invade Russia. Did he need to invade Russia? No, he had a peace treaty signed with Stalin. Why did he do it? Same reason Napoleon did it before him. He thought he could do it. Any man who thinks he has power will use it. That's history. And he always uses more power or thinks he has more power at his disposal than he does. This guy's going to be different. He's going to wait his time. He's going to exercise his power at the right moments to succeed. Hitler could have ruled the world. He used his power at the wrong time because he isn't the man in Revelation chapter 13. But here is the key. The devil is going to give him his power. The devil will give him his seat, his throne. And the devil, who is the prince of the power of the air, who will be cast down to this earth will give all of his power and authority and ability to this individual. He will be Satan incarnate. He will be the wisest ruler that has ever ruled upon this earth because all of the wisdom and the power of Satan will be in him. 
Somebody has talked about previous American presidents. I don't think anybody's going to confuse Bill Clinton being that smart or our current president. Of course, we know what they said about George Bush. How many of you know he was responsible for Noah's flood and everything that's happened since then? I mean, just listen to the news media. I mean, he's responsible for everything bad. He still has below a 50% approval rating. They just came out with that to remind us how bad he was. How many of you are lonely for him? <laughs> I wish he was back. Oh, my. But let's move on. Here's what's going to happen. One of these heads is going to be wounded. It says, and I saw one of his heads, as it were, wounded to death. Now, when I was a kid, it was very apropos when the preacher got preaching about prophecy. He would say, and John F. Kennedy is going to come back. He's going to be the Antichrist. He's the first Catholic president. I like what Brother Clayton used to say. Well, if he can ever figure out how to get out of his grave and get his brain out of the jar in Washington, D.C. and put it back in, maybe so. But until that happens, John F. Kennedy is dead, my friends. Has been, will be. He's not coming back. He's not Antichrist. But what do we say about history? History repeats itself. When Abraham Lincoln was shot, he died. When John F. Kennedy was shot, he died. I believe Antichrist will be a lot more like Abraham Lincoln than John F. Kennedy. Because Abraham Lincoln was a great leader. Antichrist will be a great leader. What would happen... They take the x-ray of his brain and the pronounced dead, and all of a sudden, the next day, he's alive. They say here that all the world wandered after the beast. All of the world wandered. Now, if you could figure out how to survive a mortal wound to your head, that'd make you pretty special now, wouldn't it? This seems to be the event that is going to propel this hitherto unknown individual to the forefront of all human history. He may be alive today. He may be doing things. Nobody knows. But the Bible tells us that the world is going to wonder, and this is where it gets a little strange for you and I, because the world is going to worship the dragon, and they're going to worship the beast. Now, here's what they're going to say about the beast. Who is like unto him? Who can have his head blown off? and still live, we might put in modern terminology. I'd say that'd make you unique, wouldn't you? But what is the second one? 
Who is able to make war with him? You know, we keep talking about a revived Roman Empire. If the president, the prime minister of, of, of Italy was wounded in such a way and survived, would there be anybody in the world that say, who could make war with Italy? <laughs> I mean, I am an American of Italian heritage, but I have to fess up to my heritage. You know how the Italians fight? Very similar to the French. I surrender. Now, it didn't used to be that way. Their armies ruled the world in the days of Jesus Christ. But uh, something happened. I'm sorry. I'm not afraid of the Italian army, are you? That tells us that this fella here, this Antichrist, is not going to just fit into the pattern like we think so. It's interesting to think about that. I'll tell you, there is a nation on the earth, if they decided to use their military, the world would quake in its boots. In fact, Pakistan's starting to get worried right now. Because the Secretary of Defense of that nation said, you better watch out, Pakistan. We're going after Al-Qaeda, and you're going to shut up and let us do it. And you know what? That's not been the history of the United States as we've worked with other nations. But it's becoming the history. Uh, do you know that our government is patterned after that of the Roman Republic? The only nation on the face of the earth to, that today that has the right to claim that pattern and that connection. And that even though Caucasian babies have now dropped below 50% birth rate in the United States, minority babies are now higher than that. This nation is still a nation that is primarily made up of peoples from the former Roman Empire. Greeks, Italians, some Germans, French, North African, Spanish, English. Interesting, isn't it? Are you saying the president is the beast? No. Sometimes he acts like one, and that's why we need to pray for him. Amen? And I'm talking about his ignorance, and it's a sad thing. That's why I'm not worried whether Obama's the Antichrist. It just doesn't bother me a bit, because he's not. But what if we got a very strong, conservative president who decided it was time to stop playing games with the terrorists of this world, might not, they say, who could make war with him. Does anybody know where the second largest navy in the world is? Stephen does. It was founded by President Bill Clinton. 
when he decommissioned American ships to save money during his presidency. The largest navy in the world is the United States. The second largest navy in the world is decommissioned United States Navy ships sitting in scrapyards and in ports all over this country. Interesting thought, isn't it? We'll try to finish this. And there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. And by the way, when we think of blasphemy, we think of, I hate God and uh, I don't believe in Jesus and cursing Jesus and all this. What was the greatest blasphemy recur uh, in the Bible? Isaiah chapter 14. I will be like the Most High. We have a mentality in this world that man is trying to put himself in the position of God. We need to understand that it's not going to be just saying bad things about the God of heaven. It is going to be the job of this beast, this Antichrist. He is going to pass himself off as if he were the incarnation of the God of heaven. How could you be any greater blasphemy than that, my friend? The Bible tells us that the abomination of desolation, this man will walk into the temple and sit in the Holy of Holies and claim to be the God of the Bible. I don't think you can blaspheme any higher than that, my friend. But here's what he's going to do. Verse 7, and it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. Now, if you want to know one of the reasons why we believe in the pre-millennial, pre-tribulational rapture is because Jesus gave a promise to the church in Matthew chapter 16 that the gates of hell should not prevail against it. Here... He gives instruction that the Antichrist shall have power to overcome the saints. If the church is here, we've got a conflict of Scripture. Now, you can run around in circles and try to get around that one if you want, but uh, it's, it's a pretty significant roadblock. When the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church means the church will not be overpowered by the power and authority of the devil. Here, the devil is going to give authority to his ruler, the beast, and he is going to overcome the saints. That tells us some things have changed in what is going on in this world. Are we still together here? This is one of the reasons, not the only one, by the way, but one of the reasons why we believe that the church will be gone by the time we get to this point. And by the way, if you can believe in a mid-tribulation rapture, just get yourself right and get it done before it starts. Amen. It is much more theologically consistent 
and easier to explain and to put in the scriptures. But he will be given not only power over the saints, but over every living person on the face of the earth. All of those living on the earth who are not written in the Lamb's book of life will worship him. This is why we say, if you hear the gospel, believe today. If you refuse the truth of the gospel, while you have an opportunity to make a choice, you will believe the lie when the Antichrist shows up. What did Jesus say? If it were possible that he should deceive the very elect. He's not going to be standing there saying, I hate Jesus and I hate Baptist and I hate this. He's going to be saying, I am. That's what Antichrist is going to be saying. And people are going to believe him. And that's why they're going to worship him. And in worshiping him, they're going to worship the dragon that gives him his power. What did Jesus say? You give someone, one of my servants, a cup of cold water in my name, it's like you've done it unto me. Amen? You worship the beast, it's just like worshiping the devil himself. There's a connection there. Now, the Bible gives us verse 10, and it's a little cryptic, and I, I just want to quickly touch on this. He that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. He that killeth with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here's the patience and the faith of the saints. You know what they do in all these movies about the end times? They have these little groups of believers that fight against the Antichrist. And they mess up his computer and they put out information that he doesn't. That is so stupid. You're not going to fight against Antichrist. He will win all of the battles. That's what the Bible's telling us. You're going to get out your swords and fight the Antichrist? Guess what? You're going to die. You, you think you're going to outsmart the Antichrist, lead into captivity? Guess what? You're the one that's going to be put in prison. Here's the faith and patience of the saints who are alive during this period of time when this person called the Antichrist is given dominion through the auspices of God at the very hand of Satan. What you're supposed to do? Hide. Don't fight against them. Try to survive. Try to stay free. Find the deepest, darkest hole you can and crawl in there and stay. It's only seven years. The Bible says some people will survive. Now I'm talking to people who will not be there. Either you will believe you're under the hearing of the gospel and be saved and be out of here, or you will be, believe the lie and be a part of what is going on. But this warning is in here. 
What are we supposed to do today? We are to overcome evil with good. Amen? We're not supposed to get a bunch of guns and go hunting people who don't believe the Bible. That's what they did during the Middle Ages. They used swords and torches and burned at the stake and all of these things. That's always the work of the devil. You know what we do? We just keep giving out the gospel. We saw the fall of the Soviet Empire. And I appreciate what Ronald Reagan and, uh, and uh, Margaret Thatcher and other people did. But you know what destroyed the Soviet Union? It's this book right here. Number one black market item was not Levi Jeans. It was the word of God. And I know somebody's going to argue with me and say, that's not true. The facts prove, no, no, they don't. You get freedom from this book. And you can't stay under communism. But when Antichrist comes, it won't matter whether you have this book or not. Because he will be given authority over and get victory. You won't fight against him. What we need to do is prepare ourselves to serve the Lord. So that when he calls us, we'll be out of here. Amen? And so this is part one. Part two, we'll study about the false prophet. And then we'll get into chapter 17. And we'll try to make sense of the kings, the five that were, and the one that is, and the one that isn't yet, and the one that's still coming after the one that isn't yet. And, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll do what we can with human understanding. But I really believe that you simplify things when you just follow what the Bible says. He was on the seashore because he was to watch the sea. These things will happen, and in the natural flow of history... This man will be elevated above all and everything. But when we study the power that he has, we come into contradiction with what Jesus said to his church. Well, if the church isn't here, then we have no contradiction now, do we? It just follows straight along. And that's why we believe Revelation chapter 4, when he says, come up hither, is a picture, is a representation of the rapture or the removal of the church. Because then things begin to happen. So, um, hope this hadn't been too boring for you tonight, but let's have a word of prayer and we'll get... Uh, give you an opportunity and to... Pray, and then we'll be dismissed. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this night. We thank and praise you for your word and what's in it. And Lord, we just ask that you would guide our understanding of it. Lord, that we would not become subject to the whims and fancies of men, but we would try to keep the flow of your word as simple and as biblical as we possibly can. We ask you to guide us into all truth that we may please you in our daily living. Lord, we pray that we would not allow the truths that will happen and the power of this man to put fear in our hearts, but Lord, that it would drive us to serve you more faithfully each day until you call us home. 
In your name we pray. And we'll just have the piano play. If you need to slip out of your seat and spend a few minutes.